Foo Bar's World Fuck Up with Joe Forrester and Hannah East. Hello and welcome to Food Bar's World Fuck Up, the show that hits harder than Samuletto's knee. And as Croatian defenders are still untangling their limbs after being turned inside out by Leo Messi, we look forward to a final between lovable scamps Argentina and modest men of the people France. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Morocco head home as heroes, while Dave the Cat processes the news that in order to qualify for life in Britain, he'll have to have his balls removed. Wait until he finds out about the cost of living crisis, eh? <laughs> satire, satire. Um, coming up on today's show, we chat to Jack Jones from Trampoline about his favourite World Cup moments. Ism Anas joins us from Qatar to talk Morocco's historic tournament. David Goldblatt and Jamie Cornaccia are with us talking football and climate change. Plus, we're joined by Jawahir Robel, the UK's first Muslim female referee. But it's not just me today. It's Hannah East as well. You're right, Hannah. I'm all right, Joe. How are you? You look uh, like shit. Do I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> You've been like going on the Christmas parties like no tomorrow, haven't you? Honestly, this time of year, it's like I'm 35 years old, but obviously England games at the World Cup. So you yeah. have to drink for them, obviously. Because <laughs> we're plus, British. <laughs> yeah. Plus it's Christmas. So it's like, ah, pint, pint, pint. Like, oh, and I went on a Christmas do on Tuesday night. I don't remember coming home. Really? Like, I, I actually don't remember. I, I got in and um, I got into bed with my girlfriend and kept telling her how much I loved her. And I was being so annoying that I was banished to the sofa. She, really? I was well, that serious. I was, I was told, I was told that I, I needed to go and have a sleepover with the dog in the front room. So me and the dog were sent out. Um, yeah, also I got a lovely little nose. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Yes, yeah, so... everywhere, Joe. Jesus Christ! No, well, one of the girls at the Christmas party had a cold. Told everyone she had a cold, and then hugged everyone, and then got quite like, drunk. Not being funny, but I hate people like that. Mm. Like now, it's like wear a mask. Now that we're at, like post-COVID times, we understand the importance of keeping germs away. What a selfish bitch! <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Do I know her? Do no, I actually know? No, her? no. Right, okay. Um, but she was like draping herself all over everyone. It's like it's nice to see you and Merry Christmas. But do you want to? Take your germs elsewhere. Stay in bed. Stay at home. Um, but I've got some exciting news, Hannah. It may not be coming home for England, but I'll tell you what is coming home. What's that? The Fair Play Award. England okay. are going to go home with a Fair Play Award after picking up only one yellow card. So seems a bit harsh on, on the Japanese who cleaned up all the stadiums afterwards. The little origami swans in their dressing room. But no, Harry Maguire's yellow card. three days cleaning up. Yeah, li- literally. And we give it to England. That is, that's a real slap in the face for Japanese <laughs> culture. Um, also, would you like to hear a stat? I would, always. It's the, it's the first World Cup since 1982 where there has been no player called Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Who looks at these things? Like, I love the fact, oh, oh shit, I found a stat. I've got a stat here. Uh, Gary? And that's that's somebody's actual job. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd probably get that wrong. That would I would get that job wrong if it was me. <laughs> it's the first World Cup where there's 18 Garys. <laughs> um, right, Hannah, it is, um, of course, while uh, we've got a guest on in a moment, Jack James from Tram- Trampoline, but until Jack gets here, it's yeah. time for things that make you go... Mm. So I got cold after sniff. <laughs> um, what made you go? Mm, no, Hannah. Did you enjoy Leo Messi rolling back the years and His... skinning defenders for fun? 
Yeah, his masterclass. Um, I obviously you have to enjoy watching Messi play, but um, I've always been like, oh, Ronaldo or Messi, Ronaldo or Messi. Messi's better though, isn't he? He is better though, yeah. And I think <laughs> it's been, become better. very evident um, because you know I'm not hating on Ronaldo at all. Mm. Um, but just oh, just watching Messi play is like incredible. I actually got my six-year-old to stay up and I was like, just watch him. Look at his skill. Just watch him. And uh, because I think my six-year-old is probably the same height as him. Um, yeah. but he's uh, he's uh, amazing. Just absolutely brilliant to watch. So best player in the tournament in the world. And yeah, that, that third goal where he got the ball. Kind of did a little dummy on the ball. The yeah. um, Croatian defender, whose name escapes me, who's been brilliant this this tournament, uh, the guy with the mask on, Batman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, um, <laughs> he literally fell over trying to work out what Messi was doing. Yeah. Then Messi ran, nutmeg someone else. And it's like, oh, that must be like, that must be so annoying. It's a bit like when you play at school and someone's too good. And it's like, well, you, you can't play with us because yeah. it's not fun for anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is with Messi, he he's like, when you watch other players do skills like that and you think, oh my God, they're amazing. You almost like, Messi doesn't seem to realise that he's even doing it. It's just so natural to him. He can just, it's just a walk in the park, Joe. Well, there's a, there was a beautiful moment on Argentinian TV this week where one of the reporters who interviewed him said, look, like the last thing I have to say isn't a question but I just want to say to you on behalf of football fans everywhere, thank you. Like, I Aww. hope that you realize how much joy you brought people like all over the world watching yeah. you. And even if we don't win the World Cup on Sunday, I really hope you remember that because that's more important. And he's oh, like, and he's like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, she's got the first question at the next press conference, isn't she? Yeah, of course she has. <laughs> I told you how much I love you, Leo. You're smashing. Yeah. Um, her for me and everybody in the world. <laughs> um, but you uh, you had a bit of a dilemma this week, didn't you, Hannah? I did. You couldn't get rid of your Brian Adams tickets. So it really, really Where's upset that? me. Really upset me, Joe, because I presumed you would also like Brian Adams. I do and like Phil Brian Collins Adams. as well. It wasn't for Phil Collins, but did I tell you when I was on my honeymoon with Andy and he was like, we're in the Maldives. It was incredible. Where were you? Like, <laughs> the Maldives. The Maldives. There's quite a lot of difficult names to pronounce in this episode as well. So I'm going to see how you get on. Yeah, it'll obviously be shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was, uh, the music was playing and stuff. And Andy was like, do you know what would make this moment even even better? And I was like, what's that? Thinking he's going to say something rude. Um, and he said, oh, Phil Collins was here and just serenaded us. And I was like, oh my God, I think I've just married the wrong person. What a weird thing to say. But he loves Phil Collins and Brian Adams. He bought some tickets from last year. The concert was cancelled. It was rescheduled to last night, but Andy forgot or just didn't get a notification to say when it was. So we had these two tickets at the O2, no babysitters. We're like, we can't go. I told Andy he could go, but he didn't want to go without me. Uh, probably because none of his other friends like Brian Adams. So I messaged our group to say, uh, would anybody like some Brian Adams tickets for tonight at the O2? And then I got like 50 laughing emoji faces back. And you were like, is this, is this true? Is this um, in jail? Producer Maddie didn't even reply. She was so disgusted. No, <laughs> Nobody gave a shit. So we, we lost out. There was oh. two empty seats. Just two. <laughs> Poor Brian. He probably looked into it. It probably really put him off when he looked into the audience and saw that the Easts weren't there. Are you going to a Christmas party this year? Are you having a work Christmas party? Because you normally make your employees do awful things like go to escape rooms that they this don't want to go true. to. Yeah, so actually um, it hasn't gone down well this year. So I've arranged for us next week to do uh, Laser Quest. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a 10-year-old's six... birthday. 
do you think is that why they do well the guys are quite up for it um but yeah they um I, we're doing laser quest and then we're doing adventure golf and then we're going out for tea but I've booked the tea at uh, 5 30 because I want to be home early so <laughs> you know the staff Christmas party that I'm paying for um and so everyone's like oh 5 30 that's early to eat and I'm like yeah but I have to pay for a babysitter and me and Andy want to be home early that's not very, I'm not in the Christmas spirit, am I? That's probably quite good for them though, because no offense, it's quite, you eat at 5.30, the boss goes home at seven yeah. and then you can just go down spoons. Yeah, because last year half of them vomited anyway. So when we'd left, so me and Andy just go and and yeah, they probably have a better time when we're not, well, they will have a better time when we're not there. So. But la- laser quest and then adventure golf is like what a 10 year old would ask for. <laughs> Christmas party. Is it really? Do, uh, I was thinking, I haven't done laser quest since I was about 10, but I remember my granny had false teeth. So my granny did it. And then like these teeth illuminate, don't they? When you're in a laser quest uh, with the lighting. So my granny was laughing like, and everyone was laughing at her. And then she kept laughing, but you could just see these massive false gnashes. Bless her. Let's bring in Jack Jones, lead singer of Trampoline um, and former Academy player at Swansea FC. Hello, mate. <laughs> Guys, I don't know what was going on there. I could hear you and it was, it was sounding great. And I was like pressing, join, join, join. It just wouldn't let me join. Hannah talking about her Nana's false teeth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds perfect. I mean, you, you didn't miss much, to be honest, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jack, can I, actually, can I ask you while we're on this theme, because we were talking about Hannah's staff Christmas party. When you're a musician or you're in a band, do you have Christmas parties? Um, We actually had one literally the other day. Did I, you? I had, How was it? It was... um. <laughs> It was heavy. Was it? I, man- I managed to sneak away at about 2.30 and uh, treated myself to an early night. But I think I could That's hear everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I could hear everyone else going until about uh, at least nine o'clock, put it that way. Oh, yeah. so does that blow morning. your mind? The next morning people were awake at breakfast yeah. time. Yeah. That's very. That's pretty normal, to be honest. Is it? <laughs> yeah. It must have been ravenous. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I don't think we were eating much, to be honest. Yeah, kind of, let's let's put two and two together here. Remember when we talked when we talked about you accidentally doing marijuana gummies the other day, Hannah? Let's go a step further. <laughs> I must have so, been ever so tired. So that, yeah. that's a tramp. Uh, weirdly, they weren't. They were very, they were very awake and felt a bit anxious. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is brilliant. Oh, oh Jack, yeah. can I just ask you a question? Have you is that a bed frame behind you or is that a sofa? Yeah, yeah. Can I, can I, there can isn't I, a cover on it. Can What's I going on? Apolo- can I firstly apologize? Because I I totally forgot about this, gotta be honest. <laughs> and I I was treating myself to a proper lion and I am in this trampoline st- ooh, ooh, what have I done here? I'm in the studio. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and, I, and, and I was just writing until so late. I, I there's a bed here. Oh wow! So I literally went to bed, but I broke the bed frame. How'd you do that? Um, just you know, having a right old laugh to myself, <laughs> jumping up and down on it. Yeah, and uh, so the bed is like literally here. So I'm just I'm I'm still in bed. Oh, oh I love that. So wow. you've been you've been writing all night, and then you were so tired you just slept in the studio. Yeah, you're you're proper cool, aren't you? Um, I don't know if I'm cool. Uh, probably my girlfriend's probably wondering where I am, but uh, she probably thinks I've like gone on a mad Christmas party and haven't turned up. Um, but um, no, I just uh, no, I forgot. You know <laughs> what I mean? You know that classic thing when you're like, oh, I got a message. My message to say where I am, and I was just about to do it. And my phone died. 
And that, that sounds like a total piss take and not real, doesn't it? But that's exactly what happened. And then I put it on charge and then I was like, I just forgot that it was on charge. And then it went away, just played with a little mixing desk. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, there's a bed. I'll just sleep, see if I can see if I can get to sleep now. And then it's 10 past 11. Jack, and I'm I think, I think you're my favourite guest of this whole really? welcome. Yeah. It. Yeah. Oh, this is living the dream, man. I'm, yeah. This is the best way to wake up in the world. I mean, I mean, you've got a bed frame. You got like you know. Is there some boxing gloves next to your bed? What was on the floor behind the uh, the bed? Oh, these. Yeah. Oh, they're your Uh, shoes, your trotters. They 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 are. um, (laughs) When I was um, in the COVID, I was doing a bit of landscape gardening because there's no gigs. (laughs) So these are like my my cement shoes when I was was mixing cement, and it's a little radiator because it gets like minus minus three down here sometimes. Oh, you don't need that, Jack. Oh, I love it. What happens if there's a couple of you in the studio and more than one of you wants to stay the night? Do you have to top and tail? Oh, yeah, we've had some arduous nights in this little bedroom. <laughs> Come on, lads, and it gets, it, Yeah, it gets, so dark, it gets so dark in here, right? You can't see your hand in front of your face. And so, like, you're just like, if when someone else is in here with you, it's, like, freaky. It's like, oh, my God, are they in here? And, you know, and we're three smelly lads. So can you imagine what this room's, you know, is like after a night of us... Um, top and tailing, as you say. <laughs> yeah, well, there there's we some go. other there's some other gross things in here which I won't show you. Actually, it's probably <laughs> 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 probably for a later show. Get through a lot of Kleenex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> sorry, oh, I'm hell, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> how we, how did we go there already? Hey. <laughs> Well, no, oh. I wasn't thinking that. It's actually the toilet. It's more to do with the toilet situation than mm. the Kleenex situation. <laughs> so the toilet's like in the in the house, which is like down the down the garden. So like you have to kind of make use of whatever kind of square and long object you can find to use the, the toilet. I'm not yeah. Saying, yeah. I'm not talking about number twos here because that is just <laughs> too much. That is a bit too much. But oh my god, Jack, I love it. But have you have you because you've been writing and stuff? Have you actually had any any time to watch all the the World Cup? Oh yeah, football, I forgot Wales. We were about that. What's, oh uh, what did you make of Wales's performance in the World Cup? Oh, I to be honest, I was a bit disappointed actually. Mm. I um. I thought the only time we really played okay was the second half against USA. Mm. And um, I don't know, it was the first time. Um, the best thing about it for Wales was the crowd, our support, you know, in the crowd and the way we were shouting and singing. And that was that was the part that moved me most. I, I wasn't sure if it's kind of the that kind of little moment we had, whether it was just the kind of end of it. <laughs> Or whether I just thought that maybe Mr. Page was just a bit—I don't know—it's just a bit boring and not that kind of exciting and knowing what to do with his team, if that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah. Do you think it's the last so, major tournament for for Gareth Bale? Oh yeah, I think so. Because I, I, I don't think we'll qualify for another one. Although, although I know they're changing the the way it all works, so more teams can actually get in now, so it should should be easier, but. God, when we played against England, I was I was just like, oh my word! It's like England looked like they'd had like sixteen thousand anabolic steroids. They were all faster, <laughs> stronger, bigger. I just thought, God, we haven't got a chance. I didn't know how we got there. I didn't. I couldn't believe we got to the World Cup after watching that game. But um, so I don't know. I think something needs to change. And 
we haven't got like a huge pool of young mm. talent or and you know someone like Gareth Bale doesn't come around very often mm. so it's that kind of having that a player of that unbelievable like freakish you know nature and power yeah. that was what you know the catalyst for this whole kind of yeah. experience we've been on so I feel like I don't know. I feel like the dark times are ahead again. <laughs> oh. But but I know I don't want to be a total, you know, pessimist about it. And you know, maybe something just something to change it. I don't know. I don't know what. I feel like I mean Paige's done all right and then people probably won't like me saying this, but I think someone with a bit more a tactical nous yeah. might might be needed to if we're going to be that one of those teams that are really like hard to beat, but like with pa- play with passion, you know, that kind of, kind of like an Atletico Madrid kind of team. Yeah. What's the, what's the target now? Is it Euro 24? Is it the world cup or not even thinking about that? Well, I was thinking, I don't know. It's hard to, really hard to tell what's going to happen. I mean, it'd be brilliant if we got to the, to the next Euros. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, the world cup has just seems like it's been such a dream to get there. And it's, yeah. It's uh, it's it's magic, but you know, just getting there and playing is like yeah. it seems a bit pathetic. You know, what I mean, it's like we're so just we really want to be able to compete with these teams and and these and kind of Welsh fans are so passionate as well. I know, like I've genuinely been, so passionate. It's amazing. That's it like was, I didn't realize we're the smallest country in there. Actually, smallest country in the, playing in the World Cup. And, than um, Yorkshire. I know, I can't believe it. I saw telling me yesterday it's smaller than Greater Manchester. I was like, how was it so small? I was yeah. like, well, I didn't realise it was half the size of Scotland as well. Well, I spend a lot of time around the people of Yorkshire because my girlfriend and her family, and obviously Hannah as well, and spend more than five minutes with anyone from Yorkshire and they will tell you, it's bigger than bloody Wales, mate. <laughs> Nobody cares apart from you. Like, you lot are the only ones who are proud of all, like, Yorkshire tea and all that. Yeah. But anyway. um, Jack, just quickly, um, Argentina, France in the final. Um, Leo Messi's been rolling back the years. He was absolutely incredible against Croatia the other night. Um, who do you think is going to win it? Oh, gosh. Do you know what? My heart, my heart is just so wants Messi to take it home. Yeah. I'm sure everyone feels the same now because, yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been up. Uh, the football has been my salvation recently because we've been doing so much with the band and all this mm. stuff's been going on and those you know those moments in the night when I'm in the studio on my own or and I get on um, iPlay I've watched all the documentaries recently you know there's yeah. been one about Messi there's one about the Ronaldo R9 yep just getting so deep in all these football things and um, I watched the Messi one and it really connected me to him like mm. I, I kind of I kind of always just thought, she, you know, he's, he's some sort of miracle. But then after watching the that documentary, it's like, oh, my days. He's like, it's unusual for someone so brilliant at football. Like, if you think about all the brilliant footballers, they've been, like, unbelievably eccentric, mad characters. If you think Cantona, Maradona, Gaza, these, like, larger-than-life, mad, kind of wondrous natures. Mm. And then you got Messi... Who's the complete opposite? He's like this quiet, shy, real Ferdinand says he never looks another player on the eye when he's on the pitch with them. Yeah. Never looks at you in the eye. So you never, never know. He can disappear from the game and then he'll end up in this kind of moment. And I just think he's such an unusual man to and to have kind of dealt with kind of fame and um 
unbelievable all, all the level shit that goes with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, his personality is not suited to being famous, but his talent yeah. is inevitable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a, well, that's beautifully put. So I would, I would love Messi to take it home and for that kind of like to settle the debate of the greatest footballer. Although you know, I'd love Ronaldo too. Um, but I just got this ominous feeling that France are going to take it home and just ruin the party. Uh, <laughs> they like to do that. Yeah, that would be, so, be so awkward. I think. And now. It, yeah, and I think they're like not even that good. The French team. They're just. I don't know how they do it. It's like. Um, and I think their shirt is the wrong shade of blue. <laughs> really, really frustrates me when I'm watching them. It's like not the right blue, man. Yeah. It should be lighter blue. It's nothing worse so, than, a, than a kit that's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> so, so I, I think that um, probably France would take it, but I'd love it if um, Messi managed to pull this one off. It'll be absolutely yeah. unbelievable if they managed to beat the French, wouldn't it? Yeah, it certainly would. Well, Jack, apart from wearing your construction shoes to fix your bed and yeah. like music, how can we how can we watch you? Where can we find you? Talk to us about your album. Oh, wow. Okay, so we got a new album out at the end of March. Um, if anyone doesn't know, uh, my name is Jack Jones and I'm in a band called Trampoline. Uh, and we start uh, touring. We're doing independent music week, which is like across all small venues at the beginning of February. And then we got a big tour in April, Manchester, London, Newcastle, Glasgow, pretty much every city in the whole world. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, yeah, if you come and see me and say you saw me on this show, I'll buy you six pints. <laughs> oh, wow. There okay, well, go. that's an incentive. We'll see you yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Come on, we'll be there together. You can come spend the night in the cabin with us both I'm of you. I'm not sure we'll about that, Jack. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> yeah, Hannah, you honestly, get a premiere honestly, in. <laughs> honestly, I can totally agree with you. I, uh, from the outside, it's, um, yeah, anyway. Oh, nice one, Jack, mate. Absolute legend. Go and text your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, I better let her know that I'm alive. Yeah, please do. We've got this video uh, thank, as proof. Thank, thank you so Yeah, exactly. I should take some <laughs> screenshots. But um, Joe and Hannah, thank you so much for having me. It's thank been you, an absolute Jack. pleasure. I'm pressing buttons now. I'm still there, am I? Yeah, come yeah. on. Oh, Jack, absolute legend. Thanks, Jack. Well. What a great, Very much, great show as well. Loads of love, loads of love. Come on, let's get it out there. Live the dream. <laughs> See you later, dude. Oh, oh absolute legend. Thank what you legend. very much to Jack. He's probably James. never listened to the show before. Perfectly. I love it when people are like, you've got such a good show. I'm like, when did you last listen to it? What what <laughs> a legend. That was oh absolutely brilliant. So um, much fun. I love the Welsh accent. I loved that. Um, right, let's have a massive gear change now and jump into the big conversation. The bit where we have an in-depth and uncensored look at the controversies facing this year's World Cup. And today we're looking at the environmental impact of Qatar 22. The World Cup has been billed as the first ever carbon neutral event in history by FIFA. They've also claimed the tournament will only have a footprint of 3.6 million tonnes of equivalent carbon waste, which will be offset by a number of initiatives. However, scientists have predicted this could be closer to 10 million tonnes. The carbon neutral claim has attracted criticism from various organisations, including Carbon Market Watch, who blasted FIFA, saying it was creative accounting from the organisers. So what constitutes a carbon neutral event? What's the predicted environmental impact of the World Cup? And is there a way to make football more green? Let's bring in David Goldblatt, Chief Advisor to Football for Future and author of the Playing Against the Clock report, and Jamie Cornaccia from We Play Green. Um, David, Jamie, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Hi. David, Hi. just, just Hi. firstly, can we ask you what a carbon neutral event is or what it might look like? Every event has carbon footprint. 
the emissions of greenhouse gases, of which carbon dioxide is the most important, but that also includes methane and a bunch of other things. Mm. That's produced by energy consumption for lighting and heating and um, for transport and transporting fans above all building stadiums, uh, providing food, beverages, etc. And um, the idea of a carbon neutral event is where when you've uh, reduced your carbon emissions by switching to, you know, renewable energy and so on, and you still have an irreducible amount of carbon that you're putting out there, you try and balance it by offsetting. And that means um, purchasing um, kind of what's called carbon credits. And that means you're investing, for example, in reforestation projects. So the idea being that carbon, you're paying up for carbon to be taken out of the atmosphere as trees grow, Mm -hmm. or you're investing in new renewable energy projects, which mean that the amount of carbon that needs to be burned, you know, uh, in coal-fired power stations can be reduced because you've got new renewable energy sources, uh, and that balances it out. So that is what you would—that's the claim of a carbon zero event rests on that. Unfortunately, I mean, as you probably know, there are all sorts of problems with it, but that's mm. the definition. Well, we had uh, Professor Simon Chadwick on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he said that uh, FIFA's carbon neutral claims are window dressing. And they're built on sand. Um, can you tell us what claims FIFA have made about the tournament? And, and to be honest, just whether you think it's true. Um, I think it is more than window dressing, mm. um, but less than a kind of adequate response. Um, you know, Qatar is um, the Qatar 2022 World Cup is billed at the moment by FIFA and the organisers to be emitting around 3.6 million tonnes of carbon equivalent. Mm which is like a small Caribbean island for a year. It's not an inconsiderable amount. Um, And 70% of that is um, fans basically flying to and from the tournament. Um, Some people consider it window dressing um, because um, it's uh, an inaccurate figure. Uh, And probably um, the amount of carbon that uh, the tournament is responsible for, above all because of all the construction and concrete and steel that's involved, is considerably higher. Um, and then Carbon Market Watch, um, who are specialists in this field, um, have taken a look at uh, the offset plans, um, which is the other side of the equation, and said, well, most you haven't signed up for most of them, actually. You haven't bought your carbon credits yet. And the ones that you have bought are looking a bit iffy. Um, and there is a broader problem with offsets. I mean, this is not just, it's really important to remember, this is not just about FIFA or Qatar. This is about every institution in the world that is claiming carbon zero status by buying offsets. Um And a lot of offsets, even the ones that seem uh, well-ranked, often don't produce the results um, that they claim. So you have reforestation programs where trees get planted, but they're the wrong kind of tree and they're in the wrong place and they don't get watered and they don't get looked after. And two years later, actually, you've got a lot of dead saplings on a hill in Anatolia. Um, Similarly, many renewable energy projects are not actually adding to the overall stock of renewable energy. They're just displacing or replacing investment that will be coming in from elsewhere. I mean, the renewable energy market is very buoyant and it's very cheap to get into. So um, those are real, you know, those are problems. And above all with offsets, you know, we need to be reducing emissions 
now, particularly from an event that in the end is, you know, it's not a life or death matter to have a World Cup. This is a treat. If we're going to have one, then we have to be very serious about these things. And all the benefits from reforestation, fantastic as they are, are coming 30 years down the line, not today. Um, On the other hand, so those are all reasons to say there are real problems with the, um, the environmental claims of the Qatar World Cup. On the other hand, you've got to give kudos to FIFA and Qatar for having a really serious environment policy. I mean, you know, Russia 2018 was almost every bit as um, dependent on hydrocarbon wealth as Qatar 2022. Um, It also, in the small print, claimed to be carbon zero. And of course, this is absurd. It wasn't in the slightest. Everybody gave it a complete free pass. And so one of the great things about you know, this event is that we're having this conversation and we're going to have this conversation now about every single global mega event that happens going forward. Um, And that's really important. Um, And the Qataris and FIFA, for all the limits and problems uh, of what they've done, is so in advance of many, many other tournaments um, and many, many other global events. Um, And it's not easy you know, we're all, again, it's not just going to be football tournaments, like mm. every big company in the world has got to work out the technological and economic complexities of reducing your carbon emissions as far as you can, um, and then finding actually plausible offsets. Mm. Um, so, you know, um, I think we should acknowledge that, that that conversation has begun. Sure, it's really imperfect, but better to be having it than not. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jamie, I've got a, a question for you, because as we know, Qatar basically had to build the facilities to host the World Cup um, from scratch, including building seven stadiums that might not, as we know, get much use after the tournament. Do you think it was irresponsible of FIFA to give them the tournament in the first place? Well, This is a very controversial topic and for many reasons, I think we all know that. Um, But um, in regards to sustainability, yeah, it was quite irresponsible. Um, The BBC came out with a really good piece, I think, last week regarding uh, what a sustainable World Cup could look like. And there's a lot of talks about um, implementing it in places that already have infrastructure in place or creating like uh, drag and drop stadiums, something that doesn't Um, take into the consideration of creating basically a whole new city or village with 100,000 hotel rooms, a new metro station. I'm also quite positive that there was a new airport built in Qatar as well. And so um, there's a lot of uh, infrastructure. And as David quite well said, um, uh, the carbon emissions also with concrete and the way that we build things. And then also the longevity of where we use these establishments for is a really big um, question in this whole situation. So it was uh, irresponsible in terms of sustainability, I do believe. Yeah. And Jamie, so we, we play Green wrote an open letter um, calling for FIFA to scrap the carbon neutral claim. Why is it important that this claim is dismissed? Yeah, to be clear, we signed the open letter. We signed didn't it, sign it. it, my apology. Yeah, no worries. Um, this is important because at least for our organization, it aligns really well with what we want to do. So We Play Green is a player-driven nonprofit whose mission is to mobilize the global football family and manifesting the the green shift. And we do this primarily through amplifying and supporting professional player voices. And when we got the opportunity to sign on to this letter, it was kind of a no-brainer because 
again, this is what we want to do, uh, especially, you know, with the world's biggest stage um, and the world's biggest event. So with the World Cup, it's so important. Um, again, I think it's really important to go back to what David said. Every single global event has a carbon uh, footprint. And from now on, this hopefully will be something spoken about in the way in which we address things and the way in which they are implemented. But on behalf of Player Voices, and again, what We Play Green wants to do, we want to bring attention to this. Um, there has been a lot of greenwashing and what we like to use the term sleeping pills. So um, if you've been paying attention to the media, you know, this hasn't really been talked about. And um, again, the power and influence of Player Voices are lies within the way that they can bring this about and at least mobilize their communities and their followers because they have a really unique way to um, connect to their local community within their clubs locally or internationally. And so again, this is what uh, we wanted to do with regarding the World Cup. And we signed on to the part of the open letter that um, has the demands for FIFA, at least to uh, scrap the carbon neutrality for the World Cup and at least create a more transparent um, approach and reconsideration to the Women's World Cup next year in New Zealand and uh, Australia, and also to at least commit to getting to the root of the issue, because again, carbon offsetting is not the best way to go. You really need to get to the root of carbon emissions and um, at least be transparent, because again, we're, we're not at a point in society where um, we're perfect, but at least be transparent in what you are um, portraying. Yeah. And, and David, uh, Jamie mentioned greenwashing. Um, and there's a, there's an interesting irony, I think, around this World Cup. And when we um, spoke about sport washing on the show a couple of weeks ago, this idea that, that potentially uh, Qatar was looking to gloss over um, some well controversial World Cup award in the first place. And obviously some uh, issues, societal issues that I think we in the West might be uncomfortable with when it's around LGBTQ rights and women's rights and treatment of migrant workers and and things like that. And this is perhaps an, another attempt that seems to have backfired um, to say that, look, it's a carbon neutral tournament, but obviously there's now evidence mounting up to suggest that that's not true, or maybe that's spurious in, in whatever sense. Um, you mentioned earlier that it's interesting that these conversations have happened. Do you think there was an, an element of FIFA Qatar trying to put in place some kind of greenwashing um, manifesto or or idea here? And do you think that's backfired? Well, I think there's a sort of mix of motivations actually going on. I mean, I mm. think amongst some parts of FIFA and the organising committee, actually, I think there is a very genuine commitment to... Um, environmental questions and addressing these things and FIFA actually spent a lot of time and money on this um I think there is a degree of greenwashing above all in the sense you know that the World Cup is a platform for a gigantic hydrocarbon economy I mean I'm sort of more concerned in a way it's more concerning you know about the amount of uh, advertising you see for Qatar energy um and hydrocarbon based companies um than actually the details of uh the world the world cup itself um so i think um i think there are both both of these things actually are going on mm. simultaneously and we're going to be having the same conversation again you know in 2026 i mean this is not just about qatar mm. um 
you know, the um, 2026 World Cup is being held, you know, across two continents, yeah. you know, in 12 cities from Los Angeles to New York, from Vancouver to Guadalajara with 48 teams in the most carbon intense economy in the entire world. So, um, you know, no new stadiums notwithstanding the carbon footprint of uh, the 2026 World Cup is going to be absolutely gigantic. I bet it's significantly bigger than Qatar's. And here's the big question that we have to all ask ourselves, is that given that 70% at least of that carbon footprint is us travelling to see the cup, right? Because the teams and the officials and all of that, like we're talking a percentage point or two, you know, it's us. And there's a real dilemma. On the one hand, we absolutely want, you know, cosmopolitan celebrations of humanity, where as much of humanity is on display as possible. I mean, that seems to me absolutely at the heart of, of what this thing is about and why it evokes such sort of, you know, intense emotions and solidarities. Um, but, you know, there's no sustainable air option at the moment. We are really going. Are we going to? We're going to have to think about. I would say World Cups where there are fewer people travelling, and where the ticketing arrangements um, make a lot more space for locals, um, and uh, and just fewer of us are going to be able to travel. Or, you know, FIFA and the organisers and the sponsors and everybody else who's involved is going to have to come up with a significantly better environmental restitution carbon sequestration option than buying a few you know reforestation offsets and i think this this applies to all of global sport and it's a really tough question but if we're honest with ourselves somewhere over the next decade or so we're going to have to address this well you did you wrote a report in um 2020 uh, looking into the impact of global sport on the climate um can you tell us a little bit about what you found well you know i made an estimate on the back of an envelope um of the carbon footprint of the global sports industry and you know the the total size of the industry is probably around 0.8 percent of global gdp and on the one hand sport is less carbon intensive per unit of economic activity than say making concrete um but it's probably rather more intensive than bird watching um <laughs> because so much transport is yeah. generated in carbon intense transport networks um so let's say it's the average that's 0.8 percent of global emissions which is not um an inconsiderable amount i mean it's not china but it's sort of getting on for algeria um and then there's the question of the sportswear industry I mean, the sportswear industry is huge, um, and I include, you know, sneakers and, like, the whole panoply of stuff. Um, it's very carbon-intensive when you think that most sportswear and sports equipment is still made of oil, um, and it involves gigantic amounts of transportation because of the global uh, supply chains, um, which manufacture and distribute all of this stuff. So we know that Puma for example, which is a pretty small part of the market, has a carbon footprint of about 14 million tonnes a year. So that's three, four Qatar World Cups. And Puma is less than 10% of the market, I would say. Wow. Um, we're waiting, you know, Adidas and Nike promise that they're going to produce actually a 
real carbon footprint sometime soon. I think Adidas might be on the verge of it. But my guess is that they are going to be gigantic. And if there is one thing that the sports world can really do that really makes a difference, I think, because of the leverage that sports world has over the sportswear industry, which is dependent upon it in so many ways, is to force some really massive, radical change on production and carbon emissions in that industry. I mean, you know, the world is kind of wearing, wearing out six billion pairs of trainers a year. Where are they going? Um, You know, there are lots of initiatives and, you know, it's not that the sportswear industry has not become alert to these things, but we are a very, very, very long way from where we need to be. And I think that, you know, that would be a really amazing contribution from the world of sport is to collectively organise to think about how to make that happen. Yeah, especially with all merch and, and kits and everything. It's absolutely crazy. And when, when you hear stats like that, I think it really does sort of bring it home. Um, Jamie, a, a question for you. What can football organisations like fans and players do to support the green shift? So many things. So the green shift is kind of like an umbrella term that we use to refer to all the solutions that are ready to be implemented. They just need momentum to do so. So we do believe that every single person has a role to play, and that's individual action and collective action. Um, Regarding the garment industry, that's really, uh, I think it's a really good point to bring up because, I mean, this is reflected in society as well outside of sport, but the fast fashion industry has a massive impact on the climate and the environment. And the football industry is a huge generator for that. Um, We have seen some initiatives in the football world, like, for example, Brentford FC have started to reuse their old kits and little things like that, I think, can start to make a difference. But again, it is kind of the uh, whirlwind of capitalism and social media and the the notion that we need to buy more and that it's cool to wear certain things. And I think players have a really big influence on, um, again, also in fashion, there's a lot of collaborations between sports brands and footballers and um, that's on the pitch and off the pitch as well. So I think it would be a great initiative for especially some really big names to um, start to promote at least using secondhand um, garments and at least encourage their clubs and national associations and sponsors. I mean, everyone, because they all have a very big <laughs> role to play in um, at least reducing the demand and the consumption. Um, we have seen again with some big like Nike, Adidas, um, the recycled plastic bottles, but again, on the sustainability aspect, no, I, I don't want to make any big claims here, but in general, most clothing garments are not sustainable at all. I mean, they can be made out of recycled plastic, but again, that in itself is not degradable and it'll most likely end up in a landfill, even if you wear it for 10, 20 years. So, I mean, it has to radically change the ways in which we do so many things. But again, football has a massive role in the uh, garment industry. And I think football players can really use their voices and um, yeah do that especially oh i also forgot to mention our number two community so morton thorsby our founder changed his number to the number two uh two years ago now um in reference to the 2015 paris agreement to keep um global warming well under two degrees he couldn't change his number to the 1.5 degrees 1.5 yeah that he tried that wasn't allowed (laughs) but um the number two has also kind of become our, uh, again, another umbrella term that we like to use to, again, refer to keeping uh, global warming under that two degree mark. 
Um, and that can also be in relation to like secondhand. So I we really want to implement the number two in fan engagement. Um, but again, this also reflects in clubs, national associations, sponsors. But with the number two, if more play, we want more players to change their numbers to the number two. We have uh, four players in our uh, we play green team that have done that now, which is awesome. But again, it could be a really cool movement with secondhand because there's so many cool things that you can do with the number two. It's a super simple um, symbol, and uh, yeah, it's really versatile. I am. Um, th- th- there's so there's so much that we could talk about here, and it's such a big topic. And I think kind of part of the goal of of this show is to encourage people to go and learn more and kind of bring mm-hmm. these things to their attention. So please do, um, please do go and find out more about We Play Green all over social media and, and that kind of thing. Find out more about the work that they do. Please do seek out David's work as well, so you can can educate yourself. Um, but just just finally, David, is there is there anything that you recommend that, that we can do as fans, as viewers of football um, to help with this situation and the impact that sport has on climate change? Write to your supporters trust, email the chief executive and uh, owner of your football club. Ask them why they whether they've signed up for the UN Sport for Climate Action Framework. And if not, why not? That would be a pretty good start. You know, uh, email, yeah, your supporters trust, get them to raise it at their um, annual meeting. The Football Supporters Association has um, uh, been active um, uh, over the last year, encouraging and nurturing work around this and has um, also uh, got a relationship with Pledgeball, uh, which is a small NGO raising consciousness on environmental issues um, around football. Be in touch with Pledgeball, be in touch with, is it Planet League? Uh, and the organisation that I've been involved in creating, which is Football for Future, um, which is out there on all the socials uh, and on the websites with um, ideas about how you can contribute both as an individual. But let me say, I think the most important thing, you know, because a lot of this debate ends up being finger pointing about, are you, you know, are you walking and reducing your carbon footprint? Is like, we need structural change. We need structural change in our agriculture, energy, transport networks, in the systems of governance of football, and at the very highest levels. So it's good for that we all make our individual behavioural changes and um, contributions. But the biggest, and this is true of football, is this is a team game. Collective action is what is required here. Um, so that's why I say, yeah, email, talk to your friends, email your supporters' trust. Let the ownership know. Yeah, well, I mean, wonderful advice. And thank you so much both for, for joining you. us. Thank Interesting, enlightening, and yeah, and so important. So thank you very, very much. Um, David Goldblatt and uh, and Jamie Cornacci there from We Play Green. Do go and seek out We Play Green's uh, social medias, find out exactly what it is they do. Do go and uh, read and look at David's work as well and just educate yourself. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Really thank appreciate you. your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye, thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, wow, so Hannah, another kind of yeah, amazing. Do you know what I feel really shit? Because I've just bought both my kids a Man United kit for Christmas. <laughs> oh God, I'm so pleased you didn't mention that. Yeah, no, <laughs> because I was thinking, you know, why are why are more clubs not doing this? Because traditionally, it's like every season get the new shirt, and it's so exciting. You get the new shirt, and you're like, oh, amazing, get your name on it. Um, but actually, it's like, why why do we do that? Why but do we need to get a new kit? Because the club, in the same way that, for example, um. I think an interesting idea is that the same way that with food now you have to have the calories on the menu. 
so that you don't go, oh, I'll just eat nine cakes for breakfast. That'll be fine. Um, why not put when you buy a product, here's this product's carbon footprint. Yeah. So, so you could go, and then if that happened legally, football clubs would be like, oh, we're going to have to be greener, otherwise we won't make as much money. They're never going to do things for the right reasons. But if that's why they do yeah. it, and, and I agree, because the clubs don't go buy, like, do buy this, it's 70 quid, but also bear in mind it's quite bad for the environment because you go all right well i won't get that then <laughs> i think people yes. don't realize it you don't realize it's about know? the production the transport that is like a big part of it um and you don't think that you just go to a shop and buy a football shirt and it's unless education. it's like really stuck in your face you don't know this stuff like it was so interesting having them both on i really it's, hope people have learned something from that yeah it's education and do you know what like I, i've been particularly proud <laughs> of lots of the stuff we've talked about on this show and when I've shared the videos, people have like reacted yeah. to stuff on Instagram. And it's just, it's nice. And that's the idea that even if one person goes away and goes, I'm going to learn more and they end up yeah. doing something, then it's worth it. Um, right. Quite, Football's funniest moments. There, Joe, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, emotional. We had Jack Jones on his trampoline and then we've had a serious chat. I love it. it. It's been a mental show. Um, you ready to talk about Dave the Cat having his balls cut off? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love to. So Dave the Cat, poor old Dave the Cat. So you know this is the cat that's been adopted by Carl Walker and John Stones. Yeah. That was hanging around at the England team hotel. Um, he is com- they've adopted him and he is coming back to Britain. Slight issue for Dave the Cat, though. As part of the um, process to become a British British citizen. British, British, ca- British citizen? I don't know. Uh, a British kittizen. There we go. Um, come Not on. a kitten, though, is it? Oh, um, still got... <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to play one episode. Um, but he's got to have his balls cut off. That's... That's oh. not fair, is it? I'd rather why, stay why astray. Why does it have to do that, though? What, what, I, how, who's made that rule up? I don't know. Mean? I don't know. It's like, it feels like a bit of like a kind of racist far-right move, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> if you're going to come over here, then we're going to chop them off, right? I'm not yeah. having you sleeping with English cats. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't um, reproduced, neither are you. <laughs> yeah, old Nick Griffin's been on the blower. Um, <laughs> also, uh, did you enjoy Carl Walker blanking Killian Mbappe when he oh went for God. a pretty much handshake? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, but it was such good TV, wasn't it? It's like, oh. Yeah, and Bappa's like, I'm killing Bappa, I'm the best player in the world. And Carl Walker was just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, watch how I'm going to absolutely violate you for this whole 90 minutes. (laughs) Don't cry. (laughs) Blow Um, me a kiss. Also, there's been a good story this week on, <laughs> on social media. Um, a company in the UK is facing... Facing. 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 in the UK is facing. Sean Connery is now the host. No, he doesn't look like that, does he? That's like a no, 50s bad guy. Hey, it's me, Sean Connery. You've got any whiskey, kid. Um, anyway, uh, no, so a company in the UK is facing a major loss after purchasing 18,000 T-shirts with England World Cup winners printed on the front. Um, Mr. Baxter, managing director of Dorset-based Wholesale Clearance UK, oh. wanted to sell T-shirts for £29.99 each, but his gamble didn't pay off. He says, I was sure England would win. Now I've been left with 18,000 shirts that say they've won, and I'm not sure what to do. Can I just say, if you're successful enough as a business person that you can buy 18,000 shirts, how can you equally be enough of a moron that you buy 18,000 shirts before knowing the outcome of the tournament? And off the back of the last conversation we've just had, what an idiot. Yeah. I was in Marks and Spencer's the other day as well, and there was a jumper. Oh, were you? You're in Marks's, not Aldi. (laughs) Things have changed for me, Hannah, in the last few years. Had you just Um, been to Pret as well? um, Oh, I love a Pret, to be fair. Um, I thought you would. But uh, they were selling uh, jumpers saying, it's coming ho, ho, home, right? But they were still £50, now, yeah. surely reduce that to 10 quid and you're like, oh, I can I can recycle that at some point. But it's like, well, I'm not buying that now because we've been knocked out of the tournament. That's <laughs> who's going in and being like, oh, I love that. Like, what, what, what are you doing? Banter for the work do. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, be the most hated man in weather. Wear that Crawley. laser quest, couldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Okay. Uh, it's time to move on. So tell me something I don't know. It's all about exploring some of the most important aspects of football that rarely get discussed. Um, and in this episode, we're talking about referees. Uh, Qatar 22 has made history after Stephanie Frappart became the first woman to referee a match at the Men's so World good. Cup. So good. I love that. Uh, I'm also laughing because Hannah can't pronounce Frappart. I'm really anxious <laughs> so, to say it. <laughs> so Frappart. Um, uh, she also made history by being the first woman to referee Liga and Champions League games. Um, now we have Jawahir Robel with us, the UK's first female Muslim referee. Um an amazing achievement. Referees get a very, very hard time uh, anyway. And there's quite a, it's, I'm quite interested in kind of the, the movement to in the grassroots to kind of get referees more respect and kind of build up the pool of referees that, that we have in this country. I'm um, Joe here. Thank you for, for joining us. Hi. What made you want to be a referee? What made me want to become a referee? It, it's not something that I've wanted to do. It's something that kind of chose me because I've always played football. I coached and the referee just came from nowhere. And I gave it a go. I refereed. I went to different uh, games and all of a sudden I fell in love with it. Wow. I love yeah. that. And did you did you ever find that there was barriers being a female and wanting to become a referee? I'm sure I'm presuming that there were some barriers in place at that point. No, honestly, to be fair, I, I got this one advice from one player at the end of the game. And he said to me, as long as you do your job, honestly, it doesn't matter whether you're a female or male. Referees should be invisible in a game. A good referee shouldn't be remembered. Yeah. If yeah. you keep if you keep, you know, um, giving cards, you know, you're just you're just everywhere. Then you're, you're not doing, a, you know, uh, what you're supposed to do. If you're invisible, you get your job done and make players feel like it's all about them and not me. There's been um, a few Great controversial advice. refereeing decisions at this World <laughs> Cup, the Argentina-Netherlands game. Just the, a few. <laughs> the, the England-France game. Now I'm kind of key. I don't know. I've, I've never refereed. I don't know the job. Do you mm -hmm. watch that as somebody who does and wonder what's going on or do you kind of sympathise with the referees a little bit? Always. I'm always on the referee side because... <laughs> Referees are all like literally match officials are all alone. It's it's the fans against the players against the spectators at home. Literally, it's it's referees are all there on their own sort of thing. And the the decisions that they make, it's purely on what they see. So sometimes they're not at the place at the right time and they miss things. You know, end of the day, they're human beings and just like football players when they miss their penalties mm. referees also make mistakes and we shouldn't be too harsh on them oh okay well we won't go off on um about the ref for the uh the England <laughs> game then well we'll leave that um that's maybe a conversation for another time um, <laughs> what was your reaction when you saw Stephanie Frappart refereeing in the World Cup that was the most amazing moment ever because it came from nowhere imagine a women refereeing women's game and then all of a sudden they yeah. got picked to referee men's game. So there is no limit anymore. It's whoever gets there in, on a good merit and whoever deserves it will be there. So if you're a woman and you want a referee, I would say keep working because now the best position to be a referee is being on the World Cup and it, it's been done. So it will encourage more girls and women to um, pick up refereeing. And how many people, when you were training to and qualifying to be a referee, how many other women were doing it with you? Like, how how can women get involved to become a referee? Because I'm sure off the back of the World Cup, there's going to be a lot of young girls looking mm -hmm. at yourself and, and thinking, I could do that. I love football. I, I could I could do that. How would they how would they go about it? 
So um, when I first did my refereeing course, I was the only girl there. Really? The, yeah, I was the only one. And the tutor, like, he reassured me and told me, you know, um, I know you're here all alone, but I'm with you and this course is going to be amazing. And the way he spoke to me made me feel like, you know, um, it's, it's anyone's game. And the way we can encourage more girls is by advertising refereeing as, yeah. as a, another sports sort of thing, even though it's still football. Okay. But it's you're an athlete, but you're also you have a different responsibilities. Okay. So the way we make referee more attractive to girls and uh, all around the world is by celebrating the ones that are already out there. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I think and you mentioned your tutor as well, and it's kind of having a positive role model yeah. is everything. That's what yourself. Um, that's yourself. That's obviously the female referees we have in the Premier League. That's Stephanie Frappart yeah. as well at the World Cup. One of the things that I think bothers me about modern football is yeah. referees get a lot of stick. And I think yeah. the way players behave, particularly at the top level, can be pretty disgraceful yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And you see that in Sunday League and you see kids doing it in the park. When I was a kid playing, when I was like 10 years old, our yeah. coach, you would be in so much trouble if you were rude or disrespectful to the referee. And I think right. that's totally right. And I think that carries through into to older life. Yeah. Have you experienced kind of any of that, that kind of stuff and that poor treatment from, from players? Honestly, all the time. Really? And it's nice when coaches get involved. Players are just going on emotions. They do apologise at the end of the game. But during the game, some of them lose it. And they feel yeah. so guilty at the end of the game. And then you have coaches who reassure me at the beginning of the game be like referee if anyone talks to you in a certain way come to me and then the, that coach will gather all the players and be like guys she's here to referee you we don't talk about the referee today whatever decision she makes we'll go with it please yeah. respect her and then let's get on with it and that just takes a lot off my shoulders and how do you find it? Because I, I'd find it quite intimidating if I was refereeing a match and and like you say a player loses it you've got a, a six foot guy that's like in your face really yeah. not you swearing at you back. like yeah, <laughs> yeah like, I'd yeah. be like I want my mom because I'd be <laughs> yeah. actually quite intimidated by that but you're literally just smiling about it and you're like you know they lose their head but they apologize yeah. at the end they they do and my little trick is if I if a, a player is so tall and comes really close I'll go few steps back and be like yeah we're the same height now and like, do you know what? if I see you in the bar later and I've got my stilettos on hun I'll be the same height as you all right Literally, yeah <laughs> and what well, do you wait. love about being a referee the most the um, the the uh, I don't know like at the end of the game when both teams are happy and they say like thank you very much because at the end of the day one team wins and the other team lose loses and then they're both happy and they say you did a great job that feeling is just unmatched yeah, that's amazing. And and just yeah. finally, what would your advice be to any young girls watching, listening, um, yeah. who are thinking about getting into refereeing? Yeah, I feel like um, um, the women's game is growing massively. Next year, literally, is the Women's World Cup. We had the Euros this year, and um, we need more female officials to go out there. Even if you're playing professionally, just do your refereeing course. And honestly, you, we need as many female qualified referees as possible because the game is growing and we need to get the refereeing to grow alongside yeah. it. Um, Jawa here, thank you so much. That was thank absolutely you. fascinating. Um, do go follow um, Jawa here on Instagram. So it's Jawa here underscore uh, Robel on Instagram, and you kind of chart your your journey, your refereeing work yeah. and stuff. And I think yeah, it's an amazing place to go for referees, whether you're a man or a woman, and, and you want to be yeah. inspired and interested in getting into it. Thank you very much, Jawa here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much, Hannah and Joe. Thank you.
Cheers, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no so positive. I love that. So Hannah, it's been um it it's been such a an eclectic show, so much different yeah, stuff going on. Yeah. I, feel, I feel quite tired now. I do. I, I need a rest. You need to go to Marks and Spencer's and then get a prep, don't you? <laughs> I've got to go to Marks and Spencer's, get a prep, maybe maybe a bit of lem sip. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe a decongestant will be good as well for you, Joe. Um right, so that's it from us. Uh do follow us. Uh, it's Fubar Radio on Instagram and stuff and follow myself and Hannah and if you say hello we're desperate for attention so we will say hello I'm going to be friends <laughs> um, right loads coming up on our final show Aww. of the World Cup Oh, and you're not going to be there though are you Hannah I'm not I'm off to Centre Parks with kids and that Anna. yeah can't be bothered that's it it's the day after the World Cup final. as soon as the tournament's over Hannah just drops the mic and walks out I'm like oh babes <laughs> drop yeah I'm not working the day after <laughs> um, we've got loads of good stuff coming up on the next show though uh, we're going to be looking back on the whole World Cup with Todd Overland Knudsen from the Wombats oh I love God. the Wombats so yeah I've got his, I'm not like the Wombats. doing it I just had the craziest week. Imagine him doing it. Don't, yeah, please don't sing that to him next week. Um, and rather excitingly as well, I'll be uh, competing in a World Cup quiz against comedian Richie Sheehy. Um, so <laughs> Richie who? Sheehy. Sheehy. <laughs> because I, I follow him on Twitter but I don't know his name <laughs> um, yeah so loads of great stuff coming up um, look thank you for listening we'll see you next time bye <laughs>